Welcome to the Roots of American Music Podcast. My name is Clint Holly, and I will be your host today. This is Season 3, Episode 4 of the Rome Podcast, and we are calling this season the Akron Heritage Music Project, where we're telling the diverse history of Akron, Ohio, through music, stories, and interviews. This season of the Roots of American Music Podcast is being graciously funded by the Knight Foundation and the GAR Foundation. Thank you. In 1851, a former female slave named Sojourner Truth gave a speech at a women's rights convention in Akron, Ohio, that in history is now called the Ain't I a Woman speech. This speech is largely regarded as one of the sparks that helped light the women's rights movement, eventually resulting in the passage of the 19th Amendment in 1920, giving women the right to vote. The story doesn't end there, however, because as we talk to our guests today, we learned that many African Americans don't feel the same celebratory attitude of the 100th anniversary of suffrage as many other Americans, because quite frankly, they feel like they were denied the right to vote until 1965 when the Voting Rights Act was passed. Today, we talked to two very special people, Tomasita Louvier Lagans and Sharon Mooney are both co-curators at an exhibit presented by Texas Folklife called Access Delayed, African-American Suffragettes' Courageous Influence on the 19th Amendment. We initially reached out to Sharon Mooney because she created a quilt about Sojourner Truth. So we wanted to talk to her specifically a little bit about the history of Sojourner Truth, the women's rights movement, suffragettes, and the exhibit at Texas Folklife. So let's call this episode Searching for Truth, and let's jump right into our interviews with Sharon and Tomasita and learn their perspectives about the women's suffrage movement and its impact today. I am Sharon Mooney. I have um, been quilting, I feel like, all my life, but as, as with most quilters, I started out sewing, sewing clothes, and then gravitated to quilting. And I would see all these beautiful quilts, and I wanted them, and I would look at the price, and I would say, oh my gosh, I will never never have all the quilts I want. That's like, <laughs> right. so I learned how to quilt and, um, have just had a great appreciation for all quilts. I currently, um, focus most of my quilts. I make quilts, of course, for my family, but, um, I love quilts that tell a story and tell history. So I have like Bible story quilts and family history quilts and I, love educational quilts so and that's why i was drawn to this exhibit for for the suffrage because of the anniversary of the 19th amendment i was seeing a lot of quilt exhibits coming up and none of them seemed to tell the african-american perspective uh, and their influence in the suffrage movement and from there you know i was talking to thomasita and we were talking about what we were seeing and and she brought it up, and I was like, oh, my gosh, we're thinking the same thing. Right. And I was so excited that she was thinking that and um, wanting to do an exhibit also. Oh, great. Okay. Now, Tomasita, what's your involvement? Go ahead and introduce yourself. So uh, my name is uh, Tomasita Luzier Lagans, and I'm here in Austin, Texas. And, uh, you know, just like Sharon, Sharon and I met through our uh local quilt guild but we actually had a um a friend uh that knew both of us but we just hadn't met each other yet so um we met at a quilt guild meeting and then uh our friendship grew from there but 
like Sharon, um, I grew up sewing uh, with my mother. I didn't learn how to quilt until um, I was older, and I saw a quilt that was $750, and I knew that I could sew it myself, and so I set on the path of, you know, finding teachers to teach me the techniques, and, you know, $750 plus uh, later, and uh, years later, um you know, I, too, have made quilts for my family. I've made um, quilts, self-portraits, just, you know, a lot of the different techniques. But, um, again, uh, like Sharon said, we knew that the uh, celebration for the 19th Amendment was coming up, and I actually had a little confusion about it because it said it gave women the right to vote. But knowing that in Texas where, you know, I lived, I saw my parents, you know, every time the polls opened, it was, uh, do you have your poll tax? And I didn't know what that was. But I didn't feel that, you know, my parents or my mother um, had the right to vote if she had to pay a tax to vote. So knowing that the activism that my parents and my mother uh, took part in, um, knowing the activism from a lot of women didn't really, um, you know, jive with me that uh, the African-American uh, community did not fully uh, get the enfranchisement of the vote um, until 1965. So wow. while African-American right. suffragettes took uh, heavy uh, influential parts in the passing of the 19th Amendment, some of the suffragettes that are in the collection actually knew Susan B. Anthony and uh, Alice Paul, but um, for whatever reason, that was left out of the record. So, um, like Sharon, I was like, okay, well, where is our history documented? And for a little while, I was I was kind of expecting for someone else to recognize our contribution, but then I was like, okay, well, the best person to tell our story <laughs> would be to come from us. And so Sharon and I discussed it, and <laughs> it was uh, pretty cool how we, you know, were both thinking about it. Sharon had um, been writing her thoughts down, and she had already started a list. And so it was, it was pretty cool how it came together, but uh, yeah. So here we have this uh, collection of quilts um, of suffragettes, African-American suffragettes, who played a very courageous and influential part, but this is in uh, no means a complete list of um, African-American women that played a role in the 19th Amendment all the way through um, 1965 Voting Rights Act. And unfortunately, we are still going through the same, um, you know, right to vote in 2021. Let's talk a little bit about um, the history of the suffragettes. And I really think it's revealing that you all can speak to you know, everybody celebrates the 100 years of suffrage, but you don't really feel as enfranchised for uh, another 50 or 60 years after that. Um, what was the original impetus for the suffragette movement um, going back to, you know, prior to the Civil War? 
Well, I think that the original emphasis, once slavery was not legal anymore, per se, because it still was not enforced, you know, as it should have been. Right. Uh, next logical step for African Americans, once they were not enslaved, was to have the rights of every other citizen. Right. And one of those, of course, is the right to vote, the right to have a say in how you live. And like Thomasita said, the sad, sad part for me when we started doing all the research was, you know, this started in 1863, 1861, 1920, the Voting Rights uh, Women's Suffrage Act was passed and African-Americans not actually being universally able to vote until 1965 is so sad to me. When I was doing the research, I was having this big disconnect between 1920 and 1965. And I'm like, what happened? It could not have just been this law after law and poll taxes. And it turns out that it was after just almost pulling my hair out and calling, you know, history professors that I knew and things like that to talk about it. It, it, it is sad, and it's even sadder that we are still struggling with this today when it seems so simple to me. Yeah, even with, um, you know, women not, um, you know, having the right to vote, um, I think the first thing that they, you know, tried to correct was um, African-American uh, men having the right to vote, you know, through Reconstruction um, for a little while. Um, African-American men received the right to vote. Um, but however, um, women at the same time were um, working on uh, getting the right to vote. And once they realized that, you know, the black man was going to be able to vote before them, um, it became an issue for some of the white suffragettes. So there is a, a racist slant in that. As well, even so, even though the 14th Amendment, is it the 14th Amendment, Sharon? That was on the book through um, Reconstruction, there was still an issue of the African-American being franchised to vote. And so the African-American women, um, knowing, one, uh, the importance of uh, being enfranchised in their community, but, you know, also felt that if it, if it was a woman's issue, it also affects them. Right. Now, through your research, was it apparent that the white women suffragettes were accepting of the African-Americans at the time? Or was there any kind of pushback? Or did the African-Americans have to start their own organizations? Or were they widely accepted um, through the other organizations? Starting in 1851 with the Women's Convention in Akron, which is historically perceived as the beginning of the suffrage movement, even though things had occurred before that. Okay. Um, even though Sojourner Truth gave her speech at that convention, she was not really encouraged to do that. There was pushback from from everywhere. I think one of the quilts talk about the naysayers and the, the triple threat, how African-American women really had no rights. They had no rights in the home. They had no rights in public. And then you have the white women also against them. 
as well as the men and the general public. So they had no voice. And that is why I think exhibit is so important because it kind of touches on every aspect of what it took to get to African-Americans really even have women, especially even having a voice because of the naysayers. And then they had to band together in women's organizations to get things done. Most of those were funneled through the church as most African-Americans, I want to say progress has been historically. That was the meeting place of African-Americans historically. At the end of March 2021, Roots of American Music held a virtual Songwriters in the Round broadcast live from Akron Recording Company. We invited four very talented young women, uh, Liz Bullock, Bethany Joy, Kathleen from the Katy, and Angie Hayes, all came to Akron Recording Company with their original material and their perspective as women and how they are influenced still today by a person like Sojourner Truth. Now, both Liz Bullock and Bethany Joy are teaching artists for Roots of American Music, and they participate in a program where teaching artists call a senior on the phone, and then they write songs together, and um, the the final result is pretty amazing. Um, and in this podcast, we're going to play you a couple of those particular songs, and the, the first one is going to be by Liz Bullock. And uh, this is her performance from Akron Recording Company. And if you would like to see the entire songwriter in the round, I highly encourage you to go to the Roots of American Music Facebook page where all of our videos are archived and look for the video called Searching for Truth. And that is the full performance of all four of these talented young women. So let's let Liz Bullock introduce her song and tell us a little bit about what she does for Roots of American Music. This first song I'm going to sing is called... Uh, Take My Roots With Me, and I wrote this with a community member during the Rome program, Huff Is My Home. Um, She is a black woman, this community member. She takes pride in her African heritage, as you'll hear in the song, and I thought it would be fitting to use this opportunity to celebrate her story and celebrate black women in our community. Full 
when I flew away And I've been blessed to do What I want with my life I travel the world with my friends by my side No matter where I go My roots are here at home Cause I've been helping people My whole life And I know my roots I take pride in my story And this one is mine This one is mine You know I've been helping people My whole life And I know my roots I take pride in my story And this one is mine Oh, this one is mine Thank you. Specifically about Sojourner Truth, it's interesting in the reading that I did about her Ain't I a Woman speech, it seems like in some places it's misrepresented in terms of where that speech was occurred, and that's why we wanted to kind of put it on the record more that it it occurred in Akron, Ohio. And it also seems like there was different versions circulated over time. One that was a pretty favorable version, like contemporary to her giving the speech, and then over a decade later, somebody else published another version of it that that said there was pushback, people hissing in the crowd and stuff like that. Are either one of you familiar with her history? She seems like she had a very complex um, life. Can either one of you tell a little bit about what her life was like leading up to that speech? Sure. It even talks about in the information about the quilt that she did grow up as a slave. Mm-hmm. And the difference, I think, in her slavery experience and the experience of most slaves is because um, slaves were not um, encouraged to learn. As a matter of fact, I think there in some many states, there were even laws against them learning to read and to write, to do anything other than manual labor. And she grew up, the slave household that she grew up in is my understanding was a Dutch slave household and they had a different viewpoint as far as using the slave to the best ability as a person. So she was actually taught the different languages and was not uh, prohibited from learning. So that not only was it beneficial to her later, but it was beneficial to her slave owner at the time. And I think that's the perspective that they were looking at in allowing her to learn, not the benefit that she would, would would achieve, but the benefit that they would achieve. Right. And she was a slave in New York, correct? That was before the the northern states even started outlawing slavery. Is that correct? That is correct. She was a slave in New York and in Pennsylvania, is my understanding. Because of her education at home, which was different than most slaves, the speeches really kind of speak to them because that the speech that I included in the quilt, which is the speech that was published contemporaneously to the, to the speech that was given, it was published in 1851, uh, by a friend of hers, um, an acquaintance of hers, that research that I got says that they actually collaborated on what was published in the, in the anti-slavery bugle 
as her speech, whereas the other version of the speech that most people think is her speech was published some maybe 12 years later, and she was not even involved in what was said in the speech or anything like that. So from reading that historical perspective of it, I felt like the contemporaneously published speech was the most accurate speech. And is that the what you tried to include in your quilt then? And that is what I included in my quilt. Now, one thing to note is that in her speech, the speech that is in my quilt, she never said, ain't I a woman? That was the title given to the speech. But it was never words in the speech, which is also words that are included in the second version of the speech, I think. I, that's interesting because we take so many things for granted in this day and age of cell phones and stuff like that when somebody could easily record a speech like that and we have to shuffle through history to kind of even sort out what uh, what was even really said on that particular day. And I found that interesting, what you said about how the words Ain't I a Woman never really probably ever appeared in that speech. Right. Right, but I think it goes to, um, you know, whoever writes the history gets to edit, you know, their version and romanticize, you know, their role and leave um, people who played an important part uh, out of it, if, you know, that didn't sync up with, you know, their view of it. So currently in the age of, you know, technology, we do get to hear exactly what was said, but I think that the efforts of trying to correct the records of the exclusion of the African-American women and, you know, to even go further and say African-American women were not the only minority um, that was left out of being enfranchised in 1920. But, you know, again, that's the focus that Sharon and I took about African-American women. Do you feel as a modern African-American woman, where do you feel like your progress is at? How much, I, I understand there's still a lot of progress to go. What do you all feel is the next step for African-American women to, to get their voice and to be heard and to be uh, more included in, in all aspects of society? That that is a mouthful. I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I still struggle with that um, today myself in 2021, and you know, seeing the things that we're just having to rehash over and over and over again, uh, the things that we experience in the workplace are the same. Um, struggle as women in general, but, um, you know, just in, you know, the, the system that has been set up is, to me, it just really looks like it's, it's not really intended for all people to be equitable. And until we come, you know, to that point where things are, you know, fairly, um, distributed, where things are equitable, where, um, you know, um, 
white people aren't telling black people to pull yourself up by your bootstrap, but as soon as they pull themselves up, you know, they come in and undercut, which is, you know, part of the story of uh, my quote for Ida B. Wells. Um, the three gentlemen that are named there had a, a grocery store. They were doing well, and the white people didn't like it. So, you know, something happened. So it, it's just really... Um, it's a conundrum, like they say. <laughs> now, do you do you feel that the um, social upheaval of the last year and the protests and all that? Do you view those as a as a positive thing? Do you think that the awareness that that brought forth is ultimately a good thing, or or would you rather have seen it approached a, another way? Oh, I I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, again, um, marching is uh, one of the quilts that we have. It's a powerful display, and it, it was done peacefully. But I do see um, that a lot of people that were um, wanting to be allies are still asking the same questions today of, you know, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And, um, you know, asking for resources. Of how can we get better? So... You know, I'm not sure that people are really doing the work rather than voicing the words. Right. Until you're given access to those levers of power to actually make a change, what what can you do? Right. And so this is um, not just the African-American struggle. Um, this, this is the struggle of people where, you know, we're all on, on the, the same playing field but we're not all given the same access. And, you know, we see it everywhere in healthcare and, you know, the legal system and the education system. It's all parts of, you know, what I consider our infrastructure that, you know, we're all experiencing the same infrastructure. We all drive on the same roads. We're just not having the same experience. <laughs> right. The rules are different for, for different people, which is definitely not right. History has shown us that the only way to get change in in this world is to upset the status quo. Right. And the moment and and everything has has done that. The um the raid on the Capitol versus the African-Americans peacefully marching in the street. Just a parallel in how those two were handled is just eye-opening if you want to see it. Let's take a quick break and listen to some more music that was recorded live at Akron Recording Company during our all-women Songwriters in the Round event. It was broadcast live from the Roots of American Music Facebook page And I encourage you once again to go see all of these great, talented young women perform uh, on on the Roots of American Music page. That video is archived, and you can see songs by Liz Bullock, Bethany Joy, Kathleen from the Katy, and Angie Hayes. And they all brought a great perspective to the event, and it was one of our most successful live streams. Awesome. So Liz uh, just inspired me to also write a song, (laughs) play a song that I wrote through Roots of American Music on Bethany Joy. I've worked for Roots of American Music for a couple of years, and during the pandemic, we had a program where we spoke with seniors on the phone and wrote songs with them. Uh, I've also worked with an African-American woman named Cecile Baldrige, who was a musician who had an awesome life, and she wrote the lyrics to this, and um, I wrote the melody and chords. It's called All I Can.
Let's talk a little bit about the the quilting project and how that got started. How did the project come together specifically for the Texas Folklife exhibit? And you said it's being exhibited virtually now. I suppose that's because of COVID. Will that hit the road at all? Will that ever be opened up so that people can see the quilts in public? Um, let's just talk a little bit overall kind of about the whole project in general. My vision, my vision, of course, you know, uh, Sharon and I got together um, as COVID hit, time started um, slipping, and we did know that we still wanted to do this and um, the importance of it. But, you know, we see that the 19th Amendment has been celebrated in, you know, with COVID fashion, a lot of the exhibits that were at museums, um, you know, were not publicly accessible. And so um, we got together a group of friends that we knew could produce on what we felt was a short, short time frame and provided them a list of suffragettes and let them pick the subject uh, matter that they wanted to address in their quilt. And so Texas Folk Life um, was one of the organizations that we approached to ask if they would be willing to hang our quilt, and they were. But, you know, again, with um, COVID, that that has been, you know, reimagined. Right. We are currently, you know, trying to uh, get the exhibit displayed at a quilt fest. But, you know, again, as time goes on, the relevance of, you know, African-American suffragette seems to be... Um, you know, washing away with, um, you know, the celebration of the 19th Amendment and the interest in having the quilt hung 
as, you know, 19th Amendment uh, suffragette quilts are kind of uh, diminishing. But the importance of the subject matter is still the same. Absolutely. The legacy continues, I would I would imagine, with people like Stacey Abrams in, uh, in Georgia and her efforts to uh, make sure that people, all people, have the have the right to vote. Um, I think that was hugely exactly. influential. Right. You know, the collection of quilts that we have go from the beginning, from Sojourner Truth is where, um, you know, we started. Sharon uh, did Sojourner Truth, and Sharon also emphasized the importance of the laws um, <laughs> that were currently on the book that we should have been following, you know, at the law of the land and how quickly they were diminished as we are seeing things being diminished today. Today, right. But, you know, it goes through the marches, the women's marches, the organization of women's clubs because the African-American woman was not readily accepted into, you know, the white suffrage club and also the image of African-American women in general is that, you know, they were not educated enough. And so um, Margaret Murray Washington and, you know, different voting suffrage clubs to teach a woman about the black woman, about, you know, the importance of participating in activism in the community and the importance of going out there to vote. So it's all those same things that started then that are still painfully relevant today and you know the marches the you know the speeches and so we go all the way basically from the beginning sojourner truth into um fannie lou hamer who's also an activist who marched in selma who really advocated for the vote until you know 1965 and then we uh, also have um, Angela Davis, who also, you know, power to the people. Right. And um, Stacey Abrams. So even, you know, again, this is not an exhaustive list of all the African-American women who participated, but we really display a very important story that needs to be told and remembered. And as we continue to go forward, the struggle of, uh, you know, getting the uh, the exhibit out there, um, you know, it, it still exists because, you know, again, people aren't interested in the 19th Amendment um, celebration because that's gone. I think it's an interesting twist, too, right. that through quilting, which I guess you would say would be a stereotypical kind of thing that uh, a woman maybe at the time was expected to do at home or whatever, becomes an art form that gives people a voice to express these stories. If either one of you would like to talk about how people tell stories through the quilts, is there a long tradition of stories being told through quilts? And, and how did that help give people a voice um, to, to say what they wanted to say? Well, I think the story quilt um, started with the Harriet Powers, um, where she told a religious story about the resurrection. But, you know, beyond that, uh, quilts, you know, traditionally have been made to uh, give comfort and warmth to the family. And so while, you know, African-American women uh, did quilt, um, I think most of the quilting uh, traditionally began as uh, keeping families warm. Sure. And then as 
I guess uh, quilters came up um, through just quilting. We started using something that was comforting, something that was non-threatening to tell our stories on. Right. So, you know, quilters moved from from the bed, um, in which um, a, a traditional quilt can tell a story, but um, you know, from moving from the bed to um, documenting a story that, um, you know, could be a very harsh story. Um, you know, again, my quote, uh, Ida B. Wells, um, was, uh, anti-lynching. And so the, the symbolism of the red and the, for lynching in my quilt is a little, um, less threatening than if I just said, you know, African-American men were threatening, um, were lynched, um, in the time frame that um, Ida B. Wells started documenting her um, record of the lynchings of uh, black men in the um, 1870s period. When you started to visualize your quilt, did you pick Sojourner Truth? And then in your mind, did you have a, a vision? And then when you make a quilt, how do you visualize the pieces that are going to go together and then make that a reality as the final product? Well, I think that when I uh, started researching, first, I do a lot of research. I may have researched her for months before I even started thinking about what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I did want to make sure that, you know, we all have an image of Sojourner Truth. And one of the things that I think quilts do is they they bring that image to life. So I wanted to just bring her to life as much as possible. So I always knew that I would have some type of picture of her there. I didn't know I would piece the whole thing, which is very laborsome. Right. And, um, but uh, once I started researching her, the fact that she gave this speech in Akron when she was discouraged to do that and not, not encouraged, and then later did not even live to see the passing of the, of the 19th Amendment. Right. I just thought that and then once I found out that there were two versions of the speech out there and her words had been, I don't want to say captured by someone who was not familiar with her, which is why I thought the original version of the speech was probably more accurate because it was written by someone that she knew versus 12 years later. Right. Uh, I mean, just so many things go into that. So once I researched and saw all those things, I knew that the speech was one of the things that I wanted to go there. And then with her picture and the speech, I just thought that that was just a statement there because, you know, we do, we hear about speeches today and before that speech is finished, almost that speech is available to everybody on the internet. Right. And it was a different process then. And just talking about how, you know, it even took a couple of weeks for her speech to get written and published. Right now, speeches are already written, right. and, and they're out there. Right. Um, to have someone take your words and take your speech and make it seem like you are less intelligent than you, than you are, that that just did not sit well with me, and I just needed to get that out there. Well, I think that was interesting in the reading that I did. They said that the second version cast her speech in a, in a more southern, uneducated type of dialect. 
um, when in fact, like you said, she, her first language was Dutch and she was, you know, from New York. So she wouldn't have spoken like a Southerner at all. Right. And I just think that, you know, I, I just can't say enough about how inclusive I think the exhibit is. We did not dictate what each quilter made. They made what they had a passion about. And I think it just covers the 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 suffrage movement, the suffrage African American suffragette perspective, um, in so many ways. Um, of course, I'm still saddened by the struggle that continues, and um, I don't know. I don't know how to do how we can do better. We just need to do better. That's all. I I totally agree with that. Now, how many how many quilts are in the uh, exhibit? I think the exhibit right now that Texas Folk Life has out there has 14 quilts. 14 quilts, um, wow. Right. 14 quilts, uh, not by 14 people. Some people made a couple of quilts, but okay. uh, it, I think it's 14, right, Thomas Eden? Yeah, that's correct. So we are just um, excited about the exhibit, and we're excited and thankful that Texas Folk Life, uh, you know, agreed to show this for us because uh, we think it's educational and we think it brings light to a current relevant situation, even though it is about the 14th, 19th Amendment. And um, right. it just the situation parallels what happened then and in 1965 and then again in 2021. And that should not be happening. Right. And didn't the Supreme Court just a few years ago roll back a lot of those uh, voting rights in in certain states? They allowed the states to start dictating their own laws again. Wasn't that just a couple of years ago that that happened? Several provisions of the Voting Rights Act were reversed uh, a few years ago. And I think the, um, the idea was that those things were not occurring anymore. Well, history has shown us now that those things are still occurring. What are we going to do about it? If somebody wants to see the quilt exhibit virtually, where would they go to uh, see the quilts? Well, uh, virtually right now it's at uh, texasfolklife.org, um, and it's uh, one of their articles that are there. It's uh, like in the story map for uh, ArcGIS. And uh, you can click on that, and you would be able to uh, see... The, uh, the artist statements and all the quilts um, that belong to that collection. Awesome. Right. If you get to Texas Folk Life's website, if you would click on their event calendar, they will have um, three pictures there on the on that page. And the third one with the gold and purple, which is the colors of the uh, suffragette uh, movement, um, the African American Suffragette Movement. If you would click on that icon, it would take you to the exhibit page. Well, there you have it. Another great episode of the Akron Heritage Music Project How the Flames of the Suffragette Movement Were Sparked by a Speech That Occurred in 1851 in Akron, Ohio by Sojourner Truth. I would like to thank Sharon and Tomasita for talking to me today about their project being presented at Texas Folklife. Texas Folklife is a statewide nonprofit organization dedicated to preserving and presenting the diverse cultures and living heritage of the Lone Star State. The virtual quilting exhibit, Access Delayed, African-American Suffragettes, Courageous Influence on the 19th Amendment, as well as information about other ongoing Texas Folklife programs are now available at texasfolklife.org. I would also like to thank Roots of American Music, the Knight Foundation, the GAR Foundation, I would like to thank Mike Fanos for editing help, 
and Dave Polster for mastering these uh, podcasts. You heard from both Bethany Joy and Liz Bullock about the work that they do with Roots of American Music, and that program is just one of many outreaches to the community that Roots of American Music participates in. So if you feel like these align with how you feel, feel free to visit www.rootsofamericamusic.org and make a donation. Help these programs continue into the future. So until the next episode, when we tell the story of post-World War II music in Akron, have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.